listener. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Blake Oliver, who is the founder and CEO of Earmark CPE. Hello, Blake. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. Sean, I am doing great. Thank you for having me on your show. I've been enjoying listening to it. Much appreciated there. And likewise, with your content, it is an extremely fresh take that I think the industry really needs. So uh, I'm going to hopefully talk a lot about a lot more about that in this episode as well also. But before we get uh, into the content that we've got to kind of prepared for you today and what I'd love to pick your brain more about, because I know you have a lot of expertise in this area, love to hear from you more about your background. You could share for our listeners so they could become more familiarized with you, your work, and how you got to where you are today. Happy to. So I won't bore you with the long story. Uh, short story is that I got started as a bookkeeper in the Great Recession. I graduated from college with a degree in music. I play the cello. Actually, your podcast listeners might not be able to see this, uh, but this is a plaque that my father-in-law gave me that's on my desk. Uh, It says, Blake Oliver, CPA, cello playing accountant. (laughs) That was when I got my CPA, he, uh, he gave me that. He's a musician as well. I love it. We actually, we actually both went to Northwestern for music many years apart. Um, so I was a cellist. I wanted to be an orchestra musician. And then, you know, the Great Recession really screwed up a lot of businesses and a lot of models and, and music was one of those things. So I was looking for work and uh, I got a job as an academic tutor. And the, the bookkeeper there at that company just up and quit one day in the middle of our busy season. And I talked my way into his job because I saw he was just like cutting checks all day long. And I'm like, I, I, could, I could cut checks. I could do that. Uh, and so that's how I got into QuickBooks. And that's all they were using that program for was really just like a check register. And I read the manual in my downtime and I, I realized it could do so much more. And that's how I got into technology. I just like, I did reworked all of the systems in that business so that we were really using it like to track our payables and to pay out uh, all the tutors who are contractors and they had different rates and all this stuff and got them off of the paper-based system. So uh, that's how I got into like the accounting world and then decided to go back to school for accounting. And while I was in school, I started an online bookkeeping company called CloudSourced Accounting. And we were in the right place at the right time. Somebody from Zero reached out to me. They were trying to get accountants and bookkeepers to use zero. This was like 10 years ago when they were brand new in the US. And so I, I really didn't have anything better to do. So I went down to Orange County and I got certified and I was the second bookkeeper to get certified on that product in the US. Very cool. So they put me on their directory. I started getting leads and that was how the business started. And so, uh, yeah, we did online bookkeeping, online bill pay, online payroll, all in the cloud, all virtually. Everyone worked from home. Fixed fees. Uh, I did. I, I had never. I had never worked in an accounting firm, so I didn't know how to do it. And so what I did is I looked at zero partners in New Zealand and Australia nice. to see what they were doing, and they had jumped on this whole idea of subscription pricing early. And so I just copied what they were doing, uh, and to great success. Like my clients loved not paying hourly for their bookkeeping and having a defined scope of services and all that. So yeah, it was sort of a kind of a story of like being in the right place at the right time and jumping on this wave of cloud accounting 
And so I was fortunate to grow that business and sell that business about five years later. And then uh, I went into the tech world. I actually, in between that, I tried, I tried working at a large firm for about a year. <laughs> I lasted maybe eight months. <laughs> um, yeah, they brought me in as a manager to like help with the cast practice. And like, I just, I, I realized like within the first, I think it was actually during my onboarding that I realized this wasn't going to work out. I was going to say it had to have been quick. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then luckily enough, there was a technology company that needed a product marketer. They wanted a, an accountant, a CPA on the team in the marketing department to do like webinars and talk. And well, as you can probably tell, I like to talk a lot. So I ended up uh, going over to some accounting tech companies and learning how to do marketing there. And while I was doing that, I started my podcast. So uh, I have uh, the Cloud Accounting Podcast. And that's we've been doing that for about four years now. Number one, accounting and bookkeeping podcast. I was just going to say, I can't say enough good things about your podcast. I listen to all the episodes. There's so much value there. And again, like the take is so fresh. I learn something new every time. I learn I learned things about tech, which is like where I've spent my whole life. Well, thank <laughs> so you. That's how I know it's good content. So highly recommend. So I decided to eventually like leave and do that full time. We actually turned it into a, uh, it's like a paying gig now. And then that's when I also started my company Earmark CPE, which gives you CPE credit for listening to podcasts using an app on your phone, earmarkcpe.com. And of course that ties in with the podcasting. Our podcast is available for CPE. We're trying to get all the accounting and tax podcasts on there for CPE. So maybe this one someday. There you so, go. That's the idea. That's I'm my pitch on to it. you. Yeah. So <laughs> love that uh, idea as well. I don't know how short or brief that actually was, but that's that's about as short as I can get it without leaving out too much. It's a great background. I think you did a great job. No, and there's you. a lot of interesting elements in there as well, too. I love the tech uh, on the earlier side in terms of getting kind of figuring out. And then when you built your own firm, which is part of kind of where I'd love to dive in deeper as well, too. Topics that we've talked about wanting to kind of dive in deeper with as well, too, in terms of like the subscription elements that <clears throat> basically the subscription economy and why they're so ideal for accounting firms. Your story is one that's inspiration. I'd say it's pretty progressive for the industry in terms of, you know, you mentioned like 10 years or so ago when you were working on this stuff and uh, connecting with zero and then taking the lead from research you had done elsewhere. I would almost argue to say that the experience you didn't have in industry turned out to actually be an advantage, I would say, because you weren't looking through solving these problems with the lens of kind of like how we've always done things in terms of like a lot of what you hear, which really stifles innovation. And instead, you kind of had blank slate. And then you found some of the best progressive, more modern examples. And it sounds like it worked out really well for you. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that journey and in particular, kind of the subscription element and its level of importance played in the success you had there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'd like to say that I just went from zero to subscriptions and had that moment of, you know, genius, but it actually was a process for me. I, when I started out doing bookkeeping, going back to school, so I was doing, I was doing night classes at UCLA and then I was doing bookkeeping during the day and a little bit of tutoring as well. And uh, I was billing hourly. So I started out, you know, billing 20 bucks an hour to do bookkeeping. And I would just gradually, I kind of raised the rate. I was tracking my time. Um, it was when I discovered the cloud accounting apps 
QuickBooks Online, Bill.com. This was a little bit before zero. That's when I had the epiphany. Well, it really wasn't an epiphany. It was just sort of a survival mechanism because I put in place the apps and then I wasn't driving to the client site. I wasn't on the client site. So like the time got cut in half. So I was either going to bill half the money or I was going to change something about how I was billing. Right. And that's to me, the fundamental problem in accounting with hourly billing is that you have every incentive to be as inefficient as possible up to the point that your client accepts it. Right. And you accept it. Like there is, there's no motivation to get any better because you you make less money. So, so, so for me, um, that was like a, I have to do it kind of thing and not putting the technology in place just wasn't an option because I don't know. I think some people just, we can't stand inefficiency. We can't stand. Right. Definitely. definitely. You're you're raising your hand, right? Yeah. (laughs) We we can't stand that. And so for me, it wasn't a question of like, am I going to do it or not? I was going to do it. And then I was going to figure out how to make the, the billing work. So I started fixing the fees for my clients, just based on what I've been doing already for them. Like whatever their fee was, I just fixed it. And then, um, meaning it was the same every month or every week. And then I put in place the technology to cut my time. And in some cases it went from like a hundred percent down to 20%. I had like an 80% reduction in the effort because amazing. I mean, look, you know, I was keying in transactions from bank statements manually into a desktop product. And then you hook up the bank feed into an online product. And now that's all automated when you create rules like that really does cut the time down. So that for me was like why I did it. And I guess the reason that I, I had to, and like other firms, I don't know what it is about the culture, but it, I, I think maybe it's because there's more of a hierarchy where if you're a staff or a manager in a firm, your job is not to innovate. They might say it is, right? but your job is to build time. Yep. Billable hours, right? And that is one of the reasons why uh, before I got into tech and after I sold my firm, I went to work for a top 20 firm because I, I they were really impressed by what I had done. They wanted my skill as a manager. So they just brought me in. Having never been in public accounting, they just brought me in at the manager level, which I thought was pretty cool. And I was basically like partner track, right? And the mentality there, just, I, I got in and I, cause I, I hadn't really like done my homework. Now I know much better. Like if I'm going to go join a company, I got to really like figure out the culture. Mm-hmm. I just really liked the guy who hired me. And then I get in and I meet all the people that are working there. And there is like zero interest in change. They wow. were anti, like maybe the partners and the managers would talk about, we need to innovate and change, but the staff, they didn't want to. And then I looked at how they were incentivized and I realized, oh, well, it doesn't make sense for them to want to change because if you're already billing all your hours, if anything changes, it just makes your life harder yep. and there's no benefit to you. Your hours might get cut. You might have to take on more clients. You, you know, you, you might have to work and not bill time because technology is very inefficient when you first put it in place. Sometimes yep. projects fail. And so there was like no risk taking. And I remember a moment where I demoed this collaboration app. I think it was called Quip. It might've been called Quip. It was, it was one of the, these, now there's many of them, but it was like a, 
an online wiki. So we could document all of our processes and procedures for every client and then communicate about them, which we we didn't have that didn't exist. And I, to me, this was like going to change how we operate as a team because now all of our processes can be standardized in one place. And I showed this to everybody in like a big team meeting and the silence afterward was like deafening to me. You could like hear crickets and my, my stomach sank when that happened. Um, It was like truly depressing. Um, Yikes. Was it like a, was it, was it like a misunderstanding? Uh, Like, where do you think the disconnect was? I think it was that they had the systems, they liked the systems they had and change was viewed as something annoying or, or, you know, it was, they were already, everybody was already working so hard too. Right. Right. And now this wasn't the kind of firm where people are like dying at their desks. I, Cause I think most firms aren't, but everybody was really full. Right. It's, you yeah. know, it, and that's most firms, like people are busy. And right. so when everybody's at maximum capacity, it's really hard to get people on board with the idea of change, but also like most point. human beings are not, are resistant to change. True. It's very natural right? like, element psychologically. And entrepreneur type people and firm owners forget this, that like most human beings just want a path laid out for them. They don't want to change. So unless you specifically incentivize them to change, like give them lots of money to do it, then they're not going to do it. And and in public accounting, the hourly billing method and the, the rewards system based on that actually does the opposite. Because again, that's an excellent point. You want to be less efficient so that you bill more hours so that you get your bonus. And that's where I was going to pick your brain about next as well, too, is observing a lot of the same characteristics like you just described in terms of these environments. What would so still a lot of firms clinging to that old model, right? In particular here in the US, um, because you mentioned Australia a couple of times. I've spoken with some other folks that are doing some similar work over in Australia and they've described how significant the differences are even still to this day in terms of how many years behind the US is in terms of how similar type firms are operating in Australia where you know they're dropping the hourly billing has kind of been uh, pushed aside in favor of these recurring fixed priced payments, more value-based pricing, if you will, less time tracking because of how much that can be such a burden on everything that you're doing. But that hasn't quite, the transformation hasn't really happened as thoroughly throughout the industry in the US. So I'm curious to pick your brain about what is the biggest element you feel like standing in the way of that progress and why are firms still resistant to that change, despite there being plenty of examples like your own firm where you achieved great success with it and that it almost one of the reasons that attracted them to you. So I'm no expert on the Australian tax system. New Zealand tax system, but I think it's a lot simpler than it is here. That's compliance fair. compliance is just not as big a business there. And so firms to like make money year round or just to, to make a living, you have to do more than just tax or audit. Yeah. Right. I mean, here, like we are the, you know, we're the global economic capital of the world. So all of the companies that need audits, the big public ones, like they're here, right? Like there's just more work to be done. Yep. Um and then in terms of tax, which is you know what most small CPAs do, like you can make a great living just doing that. 
And so I think that's why firms were, are slower to ad- adapt is because not only is the work highly lucrative on an hourly basis, well, I should say it, it's highly lucrative on an hourly basis because it requires a lot of expertise to do it right. And so, you know, when you're charging $400, $500 an hour, the, the risk of, of, of changing to like a fixed fee is actually greater, like too great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, why would you, right? I mean, I, I, I also would just build, you know, a few thousand hours a year and make, you know, whatever that is, like half a million, a million dollars a year. Right. So good point. And those are the people who are leading the firm. Right. Um, so I think the problem is that it's not, it's, 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 firms are actually so profitable. There's really no reason to change. Good point. Right. Instead of um, motivation, probably on the lower end. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's my theory. Now, a lot of firms want to move into client accounting services or just what I like to call accounting services. I don't know why we have to have an acronym for it, <laughs> right. uh, but they struggle to do it because that is not something that is, it doesn't fit the hourly model as well mm. um, because it's not as high value. To be frank, like bookkeeping, I mean, is never going to be tax planning or specialty tax credits or whatever, right? you know, IRS representation. You're never going to be able to charge what you could charge on an hourly basis for that. Um, and so it gets neglected because, well, this comes back to the mentality of firms. I actually think like cost accounting is, uh, and, and taking cost accounting to this extreme that we have in, a, in, a, in the accounting profession with our own businesses has made us blind to the profit of the lower margin services at scale. So what, I, what do I mean by that? Um, well, like what we do in accounting is we take every hour and we try to assign a cost to it and a price to it. Yep. And then we have our margin. And these are traditional firm metrics for realization, utilization. And really what we're doing is we're taking what is almost all the time a fixed cost and we are uh, we're we're arbitrarily allocating that fixed salary cost to hours, and so with with bookkeeping, you can't charge as much per hour, and so your margin is less, right? It, you, you treat every hour that a staff accountant works equally, then yeah, you're going to have a lower margin on the bookkeeping work. So firms say, well, why would I do that? I should just focus all of my energy or as much as possible on the higher margin stuff. But what you fail to see is how the low margin bookkeeping work makes all of your higher margin planning work more effective because you've got better data feeding in to all of that. Good point. Right? But we don't look at it that way. We look at it as here's bookkeeping hours and here's advisory hours or here's consulting hours or here's tax hours. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, um, after I sold my firm, we merged into a CPA firm that did a lot of tax. And we offered tax to the bookkeeping clients that I had. The tax work on those clients was insanely profitable, according to traditional firm metrics, because they already had all the data they needed that was clean to do the tax return. Good point. Right? 
So yeah, it's a helpful foundation. <laughs> right. So you have to look at the whole client. You sure. have to look at the whole firm in terms of profitability. We get way too in the weeds in accounting, trying to look at every hour and profitability by every staff person. You know, I mean, and that's why I think bookkeeping has not gotten respect mm. because it was not viewed holistically as part of a whole set of services. When you go to the supermarket, this is the classic example of uh, loss leaders. Right. At the supermarket, you know, how much does the, the supermarket make on milk and eggs? Right. Nothing. They might even lose money on it. Yep. And they put it in the back of the store. And that's why you go. And then on your way to the back of the store, you walk through those aisles that have all the high margin products that they sell. And you yep. buy those. Right. And the, you know, this exists in like every industry. But as in accounting, we have trouble with this concept of having a loss leader or like having, you know, different hours with different values. And yeah. So to me, that's well that, that psychology of like cost accounting um, and, and trying to like find the profit in every hour is what causes most firms to like fail to see the opportunity. And you can make a lot of money on bookkeeping if you do high volume. And the beauty of it is that it doesn't require a ton of skill. Now it requires yeah. a lot of a lot of standardized operating procedures, right? And documentation of procedures, which also firms are terrible at. So that's the that's the thing, right? Like you, they're yeah. not they're not viewing it like a um, assembly line, which right. is what it can be, and and. You know, so for me, like the actual impact was after about three years, well, maybe I spent two years on my own, just freelancing. And then I started the firm and I had my book of business and I started hiring bookkeepers and training them how to do it and standardizing all the procedures. By the end of that five-year journey, I wasn't doing any client work. I wasn't talking to any clients. I wasn't even selling to clients. I was literally just collecting dividends because I had taught my team of virtual bookkeepers and a sales guy and a, and a manager, how to do it. And isn't that the dream? Isn't that what we're all, well, actually it's, it's not necessarily what we all want, but I think yep. like that would be a nice part of your business to own, right? Like to have, if you Definitely. own a CPA firm to have this like department that just sort of like turns cash out. Right. System works, delivering working. value. Yep. Yeah. Taking and, away the proceeds. And bookkeeping has that potential. Whereas the limiting factor of like advisory and tax in a lot of cases, it's like you as the small firm owner are the only one who can do it. And you can't afford to hire somebody who can do it. So yep. the only thing you can do is bring on additional partners, but that's not accretive to you. Right. right? It, 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 so, so the only way that you can get leverage is by hiring people and training them to do the work that you're doing. And bookkeeping is, is great for that because it's not that complicated. I mean, maybe I'll upset people. I mean, I, I am a bookkeeper, right? Like, let's just yeah, be honest. I do my own. It, it doesn't have to be complicated. Right. You can certainly make it more complicated. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, that's what that. a lot of firms do is they make it too complicated because, again, right. they're billing hourly. Yep. And not using <laughs> tech or doing stuff yeah. manually. It's like so, it's self, self-fulfilling in that way, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Super interesting. It's. Do you feel like these other services offered at firms that aren't perhaps as standardized or consistent, right? Taxes, an easy one to pick on because it's cyclical in nature. 
do you feel like those the other services offered by accounting firms can't fit well into the that vision and that that can't be achieved similar to what you built at your firm where you had process you had teams folks were trained procedures worked right and by the time you were done building it the way you wanted to build it you had essentially alleviate you had delegated responsibility away from yourself and your team was running the whole company yeah. like do you feel like there's any services that accounting firms are offering where they can't accomplish something very similar that way if they follow the similar path I think you can do it in tax. Uh, 1040s are a great example. A lot of firms are saying, I don't want to do 1040s anymore. I don't want to do personal returns unless I'm also doing a business return. I suspect that's because they don't have defined processes and procedures that allow them to delegate all of that to- Sounds sounds about right. <laughs> right? Yeah. To staff. And again, 1040s can be lucrative if you price it right. If you've got the right client expectations, you do the marketing and the sales properly, you automate that funnel. Um, if you uh, if you don't do the work yourself, yep. you know, and I mean, it's it's a fairly standardized process, right? Similar, yeah. similarly so to bookkeeping, right? It's yeah. I mean, literally in the books and in the forums, they tell you here's what goes on what line, here's how to calculate these numbers, right? There's a finite number of combinations there, technically speaking. <laughs> so it can be pro- it can make a process out of that just like you can anything else. Yeah, TurboTax proves it, right? Like the Literally. fact that somebody actually wrote a software program that can walk you through an interview and do it like pretty well, close yep. enough for most people, right? Right. Is uh is a testament to the fact that it can be done. So all sure. you gotta do to create a 1040 practice that's lucrative, and I'm not saying it's easy, but it's you gotta create that same interview. Um, flow so that you get the data, your team gets the data they need, and then have the tech and have, you know, you, it, it takes a lot of work to build this so right. that it, you, you don't have to be involved. The problem is that I think most people, most firm owners are, are, they don't have that. And so then if you have a bunch of 1040s and you don't have a system in place, yeah, it's just a nightmare. Yep. Right. It gets messy quick. Yeah. And there's just fires burning everywhere. Constantly. Um, and then the workload compression is just horrifying, right? Like having right. to do like, you know, 75% of your work in one quarter of the year. Right. And then doesn't help either. On. No. And, and it's just too many client touch points too. That's the other problem, right? Sure. And at um, the wrong times. Yeah. I think to your point, taking that holistic approach where you need to evaluate the whole process from start to finish and not just be narrowly focused on one or maintain that like some element of the process, like hourly billing, for example, is like rigid and immovable. If you're unwilling to consider there to be a better way to do any of the things that you're doing, that one catalyst can be the sticking point, Mm -hmm. which causes the whole system to be really that inefficient, right? Um, Taking a page out of your book in terms of what you built, you built the the process, the logical and efficient way that you wanted it to work, right? But you, you didn't leave anything as like, you didn't leave a stone unturned. You evaluated the whole process from start to finish and then built it in a logical format. I, I mean, I'd like to say that I evaluated it and then I built it. <laughs> it was it was more like um assembling the like building the boat while you're in the water kind yeah, of like thing. Putting the like, parts together as you're flying the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think and that's so an like, important part of know, it too, right? Because like you need right. to do trial and error. Like you've got to experiment. Yeah. That's that's you, it's very hard to innovate without making mistakes occasionally yeah. and trying something new. Right. And it's not always going to work out, but as long as you're learning something, you're making progress. 
And saying no is really, really important. Saying no to yeah. clients, saying no to, I'm not going to take on this type of work anymore. Yeah. Like if we're not good at sales tax, we're not going to do sales tax. Like that's just yeah. it. We can't help you with that. Sorry. We're going to yeah. do what we're good at, which we discovered was bookkeeping, bill pay, and payroll. We could do those three services for you and we'd kick ass at it. And then eventually the tax too with the CPA firm. Totally. Specialize, yeah. right? Specialize, differentiate, become the best at that one thing or multiple things or whatever it is you want to do. But make sure that everything that has to go into that process is a good fit for your firm. Right? It's work you want to do. It's work your team wants to do. It's work your clients value. It's profitable. Like All of these things you can evaluate that says, if we were to further specialize, where are we going to do it? Yeah. Well said. Great conversation, man. I could talk to you about this stuff forever. Uh, there's so much to dive into here and so much that firms need to continue to reinforce as much as possible because plenty of examples like the ones that we've talked about where there's just a lot of value to add to yeah. doing it in a different way. Um, I'd love to hear you talk for a minute about what you think the future of the industry holds uh, and also as it pertains to CPE as well too, because I know that's an area where you're doing a lot of great work. Well, what's the future of the industry? Um, it's a hard question to answer because it is such a broad profession. We could talk about you know the big four, we could talk about small firms. I think small firms uh, are going to continue to feel pressure on the low end from software companies, from non-CPA firms, from non-accounting firms doing this stuff. Like That's just natural, right? Software companies go after inefficiency and they automate and they capture that margin. And for them, they can do it at scale. And so they can make millions and billions of dollars doing it, right? Yep. And I mean, we've already seen that with TurboTax, right? They're doing like over half of returns yep. now. And so um, really, like, I, th I do think there is a sweet spot, though, in between a TurboTax and or an H&R Block, right? All the retail tax repairs. Yep. And then the mid-range firms or sure. you know, the mid-sized firms, because they're very expensive on an hourly basis and they really don't want to deal with the small businesses. They want the medium businesses, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a small business owner, you're kind of in a tough place because you're either paying really way too much for this bigger firm to do your books and not really give you attention and do your return, or you're having to like DIY it, which just sucks, right? And so there's, there's like hundreds of thousands of these customers out there, uh, if not millions. And all they need is just, they want the personal touch. And then, so if you have the systems in your firm, like we were talking about, right, to automate like, and, 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 and deliver exactly what that type of client needs, you can capture them. Uh, and great examples of these are, you know, niche firms that only serve a specific type of client. Yep. Brandon Hall, the real estate CPA. Great example, mm -hmm. right? I interviewed him on my show. He only deals with property owners. Awesome. And he has a whole 40-person firm, and that's all they do is property accounting. And they know all the tax stuff you need to know to get all your deductions. And they can do the studies that you need to do for the depreciation, right? I forget what that is. But you know, that's a great example. And, and so those kind of firms are just going to grow like crazy. Another great example is your part-time controller on the larger mm -hmm. end. They just hopped onto the top 100 firms list and they are not a CPA firm. They only do 
controller level services for not-for-profits. And they've got like 400 employees and it's a very, very, very focused model. It's funny actually, because they bill hourly. So, you know, it's, it's like, oh no, this really cool non-accounting firm that's doing controller <laughs> services bills hourly. But then I talked to the founder, Eric Freint, and it turns out that they're really billing like day rates. So yeah, that makes they, sense. They focus on not-for-profits that are doing like, I don't know, a few million or tens of millions in donations. And then yep. they'll, they'll give them like, you need a controller one day a week, two days a week, mm-hmm. three days a week. Nice. Right. The people who Very don't cool. need a full-time controller and that person takes care of everything. And you can do that in not-for-profits because they don't tend to have a lot of volume. Right. Makes sense. Yep. You can just have one person who does it all soup to nuts and they're ready for the audit. And it's a great example of like a focused firm and they're in the, they're number 100 on the list. It's crazy. Um, Super cool. So it's those kind of like alternative models. Uh, you know, you can be a CPA firm and do this. You can be not a CPA firm and you can do this. You can just do like one thing like e-commerce accounting, yeah. or you can just even just do like R and D credits. <laughs> you could just have a firm right. that that's all you do. Right. Sure. Um, so the do it, your all the do it, everything like I will do everything for you. Uh, CPA with the shingle is going away. Like that is going to die. I think. Yep. Right. Makes and a ton so, of sense. So much harder to sustain. Right. I think really you're underscoring the value and the benefits of specialization, right? Yeah. It limits the number of combinations that you may be expected to manage, makes it that much easier for people to think of you when they have a much more specific need. It's kind of the, like thinking like the orthopedic surgeon that only works on knees versus the general doctor, right? I, I was going to say like medical already went through this shift totally. and a lot of doctors, right? Used to have their own practices just like CPAs. And now that's actually very rare. And you actually have a corporate model. So I think we're actually going to see that with a lot of firms too, that the partnership model is going to die out over time because Mm -hmm. it's really hard for younger managers and directors to want to buy into it. And when, especially when they could just go out and start their own firm for very little cost. So, so you're going to end up with a corporate model and you'll have a lot of firms that are just, yeah, corporations with CEOs and exactly. CEOs and boards of directors. And, and when you join, instead of you know being promised some ambiguous path to partnership, you'll get options, just like in a right. startup. Well said. And, and those will vest over time. So maybe they vest over like five years. And that way the firm, you know, they need your loyalty for some time, uh, but they don't need you for 20 years. Right. You, and right. you don't want to be locked in for 20 years. Also true. <laughs> yeah. A couple so. of very good points there. Yeah. That's super interesting. And I, I see it, some of it underway at the moment. And I think the industry is largely likely to benefit from it. So a lot of these forces pushing the industry in that direction. I think that uh, is about as comprehensive an answer we can get on that loaded question at the moment. <laughs> so thank you for uh, yeah. sharing your insight there. It's super valuable. Do you want to talk so. for a moment? I, Having you here has been amazing, Blake. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for being on the show. I've got a couple questions for you uh, before we let you go. And the first was going to be about any resources that you might want to share with our audience where they can go to learn more about anything we talked about here, perhaps yourself and your work. I know there's a lot of stuff that you've been investing in as well, too. Maybe you could talk for a moment also about the future of CPE. I, I, I'm giving 
credit again, I saw you share on social somewhere. It was an image, something had to do with the work that you're pursuing. And it was a, it was a vision. I'll just paint the picture for everybody. It was like a, it looked like it was a conference room and a bunch of folks dressed up in like business gear. And uh, for the most part, everyone in the room was pretty much disengaged or totally disconnected. And I think it had something to do with uh, like a satirical take on the current CPE process in terms of what it <laughs> what it's like and how disengaged folks are. And having been to a number of different conferences where I see that all over the place, <laughs> I thought yeah. that was a great take. It really, uh, really struck a chord. <laughs> it's amazing. You walk into a conference and you see the accountants there and like how many of them have their computers open and they're just doing like emails and work. So many of them, sometimes the entire room. (laughs) Yeah. So I figured, okay, well, if that's what you're doing, you're really just there to like get your CP out of the way. You're not really learning anything. You're just checking the box. And the conference is convenient because it gives you a nice place with good Wi-Fi where you can go work while you sit there. And I thought, you know, maybe if we just made it more convenient, then people would actually learn. And so- I also had like listeners of my show ask me, Hey, how do I get CP for listening? Sort of in a joking way. Cause they, it was, they were saying, I learn a lot from this show. That's great. And so, uh, so that's why I created earmark, which lets you get CPE for listening to a podcast. So you can listen to the podcast wherever you want. You can listen to it on our app or you can listen to it in Apple podcasts. And then you go onto our app and you take the quiz. You certify that you listened, take the quiz. And you can email yourself the certificate and it's that that's easy. And the idea is if you do it once a week, then you're not having to go to this conference and cram it all in at the end of the year or worse, do some, one of those like crappy, excuse me, do one of those crappy, like all in one, you know, CPE, get it all done, like on your computer um, where it's like ancient material and not relevant (laughs) to anything you do. And Yeah. So that's my goal. My goal is to help raise the level of knowledge in the profession by making it really easy to learn with great podcasts and get the CPE so that you're checking the box too. And, you know, just, we, we gotta, we, we have to do something. Uh, So I'm just speaking as a CPA, right? The profession is way bigger than just CPAs, but speaking myself as a CPA who has a CPE requirement, we have to move forward or we are going to become irrelevant. Like most firms will not be CPA firms. Yep. Certainly trending and, that way. I mean, we're even seeing this EY. Absolutely. The consulting partners are thinking about cutting off the audit firm. Right. That used to be a sign of prestige. Right. That you audited these big companies. It's a big change. Now they think they might be better off without them, uh, especially with the scandals. Right. So yep. that's just one example. Uh, and and yep. with small firms too, right. We have to keep up. And so my goal is to try and put that knowledge out there. You're doing this with your show. You, you're, you're putting out knowledge that is way more useful and practical and applicable than 99% of the conference stuff out there. I appreciate right? that. And so, uh, it's a, very innovative solution I think you've come up with for what is a big problem, right? And I think we've seen that in how quickly what you've been working on has been growing, which is super encouraging. I love it. Um, One thing I want to make sure we mention during the recording as well, too, is where folks can go to learn more and gain access. 
I should be doing this as a marketer. Clearly, I'm a little rusty. Uh, earmarkcpe.com. Earmarkcpe.com is where you go. Uh, you can sign up and get the app and join the community. And the app is free. Community is free. Uh, we also have a subscription that's coming out soon. So if you want to support the community, you can pay $9,900 a year and that'll support our work. And our goal is to get tens of thousands of members and then uh, build up this like business where we can just keep creating 10 hours of content every week. And actually that's what we're doing. We're doing five to 10 every week. So right now we're up to like 200 hours of CPE content. We've only been doing this for six months. Wow. Yeah. Super interesting. Unlimited choices is is eventually what you're going to have. It's awesome. Love it. Uh, It's a very different experience than what it was before. So uh, that innovation is working and I've heard nothing. I've heard people say nothing but great things about it, myself included. So uh, for folks listening in, go check it out. I have, uh, it's great and uh, it's much better than the way it was. So keep up the great work there. Um, and then last question I have for you uh, before I let you go is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? You can email me Blake at blakeoliver.com. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Blake T Oliver. LinkedIn as well. Yeah, those are the places to reach out. And you know, if, if you're an accountant, you're a bookkeeper, and you have thoughts about the future of our profession, I want to hear them. Go listen to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Let me know what you think. I uh, I work at home from Scottsdale, Arizona. I don't go to an office, so that, like I, I this is my water cooler community. I I need to talk to people. So. Awesome. Love it. Great idea. Great recommendation. Your content's fantastic. So I encourage folks to go connect with and follow Blake. Uh, Consume all of his content because it's fantastic. Some of the best stuff in the industry, in my opinion. Um, And uh, engage as well, too. Same on your end as well, too. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Blake, I can't thank you enough for being here and sharing your knowledge and experience with our audience. Very valuable. Uh, Is there anything else you want to share before we let you go? I guess if you're going to be at ZeroCon or QuickBooks Connect... I'll be there too. Look for the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I think we'll be recording live at both those events. So come say hi, get a sticker. (laughs) Awesome. Love it. Thank you for that mention. Uh, And for anybody listening, all the details that Blake shared with us, including links to everything is going to be available in the show notes. So check those out if you want a, a closer look at the resources and where to find them. Awesome. Thank you for being here, Blake. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. This was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Accounting Automation. I hope you found it valuable. I help accounting firms scale their profit exponentially without needing to hire any additional accountants. So if your firm is in growth mode and can't keep up, I'd love to talk to you more about how I can empower your firm to do more with less through automation and technology. To learn more, visit my website, nextstep.io, or email me, sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P, dot I-O. Hey folks, Sean here, and I want to thank you for engaging with my content and encourage you to sign up for my free five-day video email course called Bottleneck Buster. Bottleneck Buster is designed to show you how to boost the profitability of your firm without hiring. You'll learn where your firm is wasting time, how to get that time back, and how to reinvest it to drive greater profitability. Sign up for the course at bottleneckbuster.com.